You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And so today we're, we're actually wrapping up our journey through the book of Acts. This series, Unfinished Business, is um, coming to a close. We've seen how the, the mission of the kingdom went forth powerfully through that early church, uh, and that, that mission is still unfinished today. The same spirit that empowered those disciples in the book of Acts empowers these disciples now today to participate in, in what God's doing on the earth. And today, the, this passage, will see that our lives here in 2014 are actually becoming the message of Jesus to the world. We are, we are embodying the gospel wherever we go. And that is, in fact, the end of our lives. It's the destination of our lives. So we're looking at the end of the book of Acts, and we'll see that the end of our lives is to embody the gospel where, wherever we are. And that was certainly true for Paul and his life. And um, we'll, we'll see today that the Spirit is still doing that among us, making us uh, embody the gospel wherever we go. So if you're like me, you're wondering, how can we wrap up the book of Acts when just last week we studied chapter 20? Aren't, aren't there 28 chapters in the book of Acts, Mike? Aren't you rushing this thing along a bit? Did Brian not count properly? Is he a poor planner? No, if you know Brian, he's not a poor planner. Um, but actually, the book of Acts, the end of the book of Acts starts in chapter 21. It's a long ending, uh, if, if you will. Um, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he spends 25% of his time in Acts focusing on the end of Paul's life. And there actually are parallels between the book of Acts and the Gospels. The Gospel writers also spend a great deal of time focusing on the end of Jesus' life. His suffering, his death, his resurrection. They each, both the Gospels and the book of Acts, spend about 25% of their time. The Gospels focusing on the end of Jesus' life. Acts focusing on the end of Paul's life. So when that's happening, when there's that clear of a parallel going on, the the writers are wanting to get our attention. And I, I want us to see why Luke would spend such a great deal of time ending this marvelous story uh, that we've been looking at in the book of Acts. So both Jesus and Paul, they go through a series of five trials each um, before uh, being falsely accused. They're both uh, accused by the Jews of heresy, and they're both, they go before Romans, and the Romans can't find anything wrong with either of them. So that's one of the, uh, the, the parallels going on uh, between in the Gospels and uh, the book of Acts. So if you see, if you read these things side by side, you'll notice that there are similarities in how these books end. Why would Paul do that, or uh, Luke do that? Well, I think one of the, 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 the main reasons comes in the, the one difference in how these stories end. So like I said, the, the Gospels end with the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus. But the book of Acts um, doesn't end with Paul dying. There's like this big 
buildup of chapters and, and it's like he's gone to trial and he's imprisoned and he's beaten and he's crying with his friends and it's just like, okay, Paul's gonna die. I know where this is going. It's like you're watching a movie. You're like, okay, I see what's happening. And then it's like, he, do, he doesn't die. I mean, that, I, I personally don't really like the end of the book of Acts because it just feels like you gotta, what happened? Like, that's it? There's this big buildup and then nothing. You know, and, but like the, the name of this series implies, the story is yet continuing, right? There's like this big dot, dot, dot at the end of the book of Acts, like a to be continued, which I also hate in movies. Uh, that's why I don't, I prefer to watch them once they're all out, you know. Um, we just watched the, uh, the Hunger Games the other night, and uh, out of, kind of an accident on Netflix, I was like, oh, we'll try this, and, and I got really into it, and then I was like, wait a second, that's not what happens? And then I found out, oh, the next one's almost out. Perfect timing. Really planned that one out well. So, um, so there's similarities, but that one difference is that Jesus dies and is resurrected. And that's the main point of the Gospels, right? They point to our great glorious hope as believers that, that we will also be resurrected with Christ. That's the main point of the Gospels. So what is the main point of Acts then if Paul doesn't die? Well, you've probably guessed the point of Acts is not Paul's death. And it's not even... Paul's life. The main point of Acts is the Spirit's activity in, in, in moving the kingdom of God forward through Spirit-empowered disciples. And the main thrust of the book of Acts that Luke wants us to get is that the gospel is unhindered. It's unhindered by talent. It's unhindered by money. It's unhindered by persecution. And yes, it's even unhindered by death. That is the main point of the book of Acts, that the gospel will go forth in the world unhindered. That's what Luke's wanting to get to us with this great big buildup, like, is he going to die? Is he going to die? No, he doesn't die, and here's why. The gospel will go forward unhindered in the world. A little trick I learned to to, to try to find the main point of a book of the Bible is, um, is reading the top and the tail of the book which is kind of a funny phrase, but it's how I remember it. Um, the top being the first part of the book, the tail being the end of the book. So if you, it doesn't work with all the books of the Bible, but a lot will. If you read the first you know, set of verses and chapters in a book, and then you skip to the end, which is a, a lazy man's way of you know, reading a book, like, I wonder how this thing ends. Um, and you look for s- repeated words, repeated ideas, repeated phrases, and that will give you a clue about what the main point of that book is. Just like at the, the top of this message, I told you that our lives are becoming the message of the gospel, right? Because if you hear one thing today, I want you to hear that. So I will repeat myself uh, a few times today so that you understand that. The gospel, uh, the, the, the biblical authors did the same thing. They repeated themselves. So if you read the first part of a book and the last part of the book, you'll see um, uh, some similarities and get the main point. So with that in mind, let's, let's just flip over to the beginning of the book of Acts, how we started this thing. In Acts chapter 1, we see the resurrected Jesus in Jerusalem with his disciples. And he's telling them to wait here. And he, 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 he says that as they wait, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they are, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's how the book of Acts starts. Now, we'll flip to the end, Acts chapter 28. And we'll see if there's any um, similarities, which you know there are, because I wouldn't bring up this point if there wasn't, right? Wouldn't that be terrible? Like, wow, that didn't work. Sorry, let's just skip over that. But Acts 28, the very end of Acts 28, 
ends with Paul in Rome. So the beginning of the, the book started in Jerusalem. The book ends in Rome. That's significant. And it says that Paul lived there two whole years, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see the, the, the similarities? Maybe what Luke's trying to communicate to us through this book. The beginning starts with Jesus saying, hey, you will receive power, and the result of that power will be you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then it ends with Paul at the end of the earth. That's as as far as those guys could imagine in Rome. Paul's there, and what is he doing? He's being a bold witness, teaching of the kingdom of God, and and the, the gospel is going forth unhindered. That's what Luke's wanting us to get in the book of Acts. That's why he spends so much time building up the end. And then he just punches us with this like, oh, and then Paul lived there. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. All along the way, spirit-empowered witnesses take the gospel from Jerusalem to the end of the earth, to Rome. Testifying about Jesus and his kingdom. So what's so remarkable to me about the end of Acts is how determined Paul is to get to Rome in the first place. It's like crazy. He's like, he's trying really hard to get there. He's accused of heresy by the Jews. And they beat him up and they they rough him up a little bit and they, they put him on trial. And then a Roman overhears that Paul is a Roman citizen. And when he hears that, he then sends this case into the Roman judicial system. Because Paul is a Roman citizen. He has to be tried in the Roman courts. So what Paul ends up doing, this is a very minor uh, charge that's brought to him in in terms of the Roman judicial system. They don't care much about Jewish heresy in the Roman judicial system. So it's very minor. But what Paul does is he appeals it all the way to Caesar. It's like me getting a traffic ticket, and then I appeal it through all the courts, all the way to the Supreme Court. Except the one difference is that if I'm wrong at the Supreme Court, I get the death penalty. That's what's, that's what's going to happen to Paul. He's appealing it all the way to Caesar because he sees this as his ticket to Rome. He's trying really hard to get to Rome. And um, we, we see that because Paul's life, he was embodying the gospel wherever he went. And, and he, he, he's like a, you know, a kick returner that gets the kick and it's like the, the game is basically over. And the kick returner is like, well, we're going to lose. So I might as well take this thing all the way to the house. Like what? will score a touchdown. He just runs like a madman and tries to get in the, the end zone. That's what's happening to Paul. Or that scene, uh, I hope I don't make myself a, too much of a nerd right now, but uh, in The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite movies, um, the, the second movie, they're surrounded at Helm's Deep, and King Theoden realizes we're going to die. <laughs> we're surrounded. It's not looking good. They're hiding in an inner room. He's got some weapons, some guys, some, some horses, and he decides, well, if we're going to die, let's take this thing, let's take as many down with us. So they, they're like, well, let's ride out. So they, they saddle up, they get their weapons, and they just charge out to try to take down as many of the enemy as they can. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to die anyway. Might as well take some people down with me. That's what Paul's doing. He realizes, I'm going to die for this gospel eventually, so I might as well take this thing all the way to the house. I might as take as many people down with me. So he appeals his case all the way to Caesar because he sees it as his ticket before, uh, ticket to Rome. So now this passage that we read today, he is before this King Agrippa. So there was a governor named Festus who is 
overseeing the trial. And before he sends Paul off to Rome, he wants King Agrippa to hear the case. King Agrippa was kind of like a mediator between the Romans and the Jews. He was a king, but he was kind of like a bought-off king by the Romans. He was like a, a royal pawn. And um, so he invites King Agrippa to come hear this case because King Agrippa would have been familiar with Jewish laws and customs. So he wanted to get his opinion on it before he sends Paul off. So King Agrippa rolls into town with this big, great, you know, pomp and, you know, just like really putting on a show and, and to come hear Paul's case. And for an evangelist like Paul, it's a dream come true. He has this captive audience of a king, some really important Roman officials, law enforcement officers, and his Jewish brothers, like religious leaders, are all there, and they're all listening to this beat-up, small Jewish man talk about Jesus. I mean, Paul just couldn't be happier, even though he's in chains. So, before we get into what he says to King Agrippa, I just want you to pause for a second and take account of the level of boldness you have in talking about Jesus. Do you have that kind of passion and excitement like Paul does? I mean, he, do you see what he's doing? He, he's like setting this thing up so he can talk about Jesus more. Just take inventory of the level of boldness you have. Do you, how, how often do you initiate conversations with people about Jesus? When's the last time you shared your story about how you came to know Jesus with somebody? Or what's the conversation like at the Thanksgiving table? Kingdom of God coming up? You, is, that, is, that, is that on the plans for you? Just, just consider how bold you are with your story. And now that you are thoroughly depressed, <laughs> let us continue. Because... I happen to be very depressed and discouraged about this, and I don't want to be the only one feeling that way. So I want you guys to come along with me, okay? I can't be the only one feeling depressed. Let me point out two really important things about boldness and our bold witness. First, we are not making an example of Paul today. He is not the hero. Although we're talking about what he did, he is not the hero. Even though he is an evangelism ninja, The moral of the story today is not for you to become more Paul-like, okay? So in your discouragement that you feel because you're a wimp with evangelism, don't look to Paul, okay? That kind of motivation will get you to Tuesday. And then you'll feel like a wimp again and probably even worse. So don't get motivated by looking to Paul. You're you're not supposed to become more Paul-like today. The second important thing is that the reason Paul was so bold is the same reason we will be bold. What was available to Paul is available to us today. He understood the implications of the gospel in making him a dead man who now lives to Jesus. Paul understood that by grace he'd been saved. He understood that because of that grace he was buried with Christ, dead. And that now he, any, any days that he lived in the flesh belonged to Jesus. He understood the rightful owner of his life. And we can understand that today. Paul understood that he didn't buy the car, so he, he's going to drive it like he stole it. He got that. Like, well, I didn't buy this life, so I might as well drive it like a madman for Jesus. And we can understand that too. Paul's motivation is our motivation today. The same spirit that was available to Paul is available to us today. Because you can't kill a dead man. Paul got that. I'm already dead in Christ. You can't kill a dead man. 
let, let's take this thing all the way to Rome. And I, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to guess and bet today that that is still available for us today. We can understand the implications of the gospel and live as Paul lived, as a free man. That's the end of our lives. As it was the end of Paul's life, that's the end of our lives. By God's grace, by God's mercy, we are becoming men and women who are lit on fire for him. To, to be bold witnesses wherever, wherever, wherever he places us. So this interaction with Agrippa, let me just set the stage for a bit. He's a king, like I said. And um, the, the interesting thing about King Agrippa is that he's the great-grandson of King Herod. You remember that guy? King Herod, some what, 50, 60 years earlier, killed every baby boy in Israel when he heard of the M- Messiah. He was a madman. He didn't want anybody to take his throne, so he, he killed every baby boy in the land when Jesus was born. That was, that's Agrippa's great-granddad. And then, um, so Agrippa's grandfather then beheaded John the Baptist. Remember that guy? Because John the Baptist was preaching against his immoral marriage. So that King Herod had John beheaded. You don't think Paul has that in the back of his mind as he's standing there before this guy? He was also known as King Herod Agrippa. I bet Paul was thinking like, this guy is, comes from quite a family line. Uh, he, they don't tend to take kindly to Christians. And here's Paul about to... Uh, to share his story about Jesus with this guy. There's reason for Paul to tremble a little bit and be nervous. This isn't just because he's being on trial for, for, for heresy. Like he, These people have the, his life in their hands. But what's remarkable is Paul, chained, standing before these guys, is a free man. He is so free because he understands who he is and the implications of the gospel in his life. He is a free man. That's why he's so bold before these guys. So Paul in walks Agrippa, they, this, 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 this audience of really important people. They're, they're wanting to hear Paul's defense. So Paul goes on. It, it's funny. It's not even a, Paul's not even defending himself for the charges that are brought against him. He's just telling his story about how he came to know Jesus. That's just what he does. He, he seizes the opportunity in front of him. So he tells them how he came to know Jesus, his radical conversion, and then it just sets the crowd in an uproar. And I want to read again those verses we heard read earlier. So he tells them that, that Jesus had to die uh, and, and that, in fact, now Jesus lives. And as he was saying these things, this is verse 24, in his defense, Festus, the governor who, who, who set this whole trial up, said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind, Paul. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. He's speaking to the king this way. And to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa's shocked and he's caught off guard. And he said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? It's like he's gotten thinking. I mean, it's, it's amazing what Paul did. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God, not only you, 
But all who hear me this day become as I am. Accept these chains. There's the mission of Paul's life revealed. Whether I have a lot of days or just a few days. A lot of people listening or hardly anybody listening to me. I, I want that everyone who sees my life to know this Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit was making Paul the very message of the gospel. Wherever he went. That was the, the, the direction of Paul's life. And the Holy Spirit is doing that in us as well today. By his grace, by the, in the power of the Spirit, we can say with Paul, whether there are two people or 2,000 people listening to me, whether I got one day or a thousand days left on this earth, we want everyone who hears us, everyone who sees our lives to know this Jesus. We can say that with Paul. Paul wrote elsewhere to the Corinthians that, 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 that um, God is using him and his ministry to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ wherever they would go. I love that imagery, right? That, the, the thing about fragrance is it points us to somebody. It reminds us of something, right? Well, after uh, my kids spend time with grandma, and she's done hugging them and smothering them with kisses, we'll pick them up, and then I take them home, and I can smell my mom on them. I can smell her perfume all over them. It's like, oh, you've been with grandma. Or my friend Mark from our church in California. I'll hug him on a Sunday, not think much about it. Then I go home and I I smell my clothing. I'm like, Mark, Mark's cologne's all over me. And I'm reminded of Mark. It's like, it reminds me. I'm not even with the guy and it reminds me of him. That's what fragrance does. It reminds us of someone. And Paul's saying, God is making us, his people, to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ wherever we go. But the thing with fragrance, you got to be with that person to smell like them, right? you got to be with Jesus to smell like Jesus. And that's how Paul lived. He loved the presence of God. He loved being with Jesus. He was a man of God's presence. And we, as we gather today to worship God in his presence, it's like we're getting a fresh spray of that fragrance. Now to spread in our neighborhoods and our workplaces tomorrow. The other thing with fragrance is you don't have to try very hard to smell like that, right? However you smell today is how you smell. There's not much you can change about that, right, by thinking really hard. or you know, It's like how you smell is how you smell today. You showed up that way, right? If you forgot deodorant, you forgot deodorant. You got to live with it today. When we're with Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, it's not like we have to try super hard to spread his, his fragrance wherever we go. This is a grace-empowered thing, guys. So that discouragement that you felt a little while ago thinking about how not bold you are, I hope that you don't leave here trying to get real busy and real strife-filled and and try really hard to smell differently. That's not how you do it. You spend time with Jesus, right? Look, when, when I was falling in love with my wife, Katie, people didn't have to ask me to talk about her. It's not like I, when I went home, my mom's like, so tell me about Katie. Mike, you gotta, I want to know about this. Ka- I just talked about her, right? Especially after I bought a ring to propose to her. I just couldn't stop talking about it because I loved her. So I talked about her, right? That's the motivation with evangelism, guys. If you love Jesus, you're going to talk about him. You're not going to have to muster it up like, oh, I got to talk about him. Got to talk about him. Oh, so I'm... There's a stranger. I'm about to meet a stranger. I've got to talk. No, if you love Jesus, if you've been with Jesus, 
You'll smell like Jesus to people. Okay? Paul's life, he's on trial, and he smells like Jesus. The king can smell it. The king's like, wait, in a short time, would you have me become a Christian? Paul's like, hey, I, however long I have, I want everybody to hears me to see Jesus. And I admit, guys, like I said, I'm discouraged in this area about being a bold, fragrant witness for Jesus. I moved my family to St. Louis to learn how to plant a church. And a part of that church planting training is growing in evangelism. It's a key part. And I'm very comfortable reading books about church planting. I love talking about church culture and the values that we're going to have in a church. I even like preaching the gospel to a room of people. But you get me in front of a person who I don't know and tell me to bring up Jesus with them, I'm like a coward. It's like I start saying things that aren't entirely true, pretending like I'm in the shows that they're into, that I have no idea. I've never seen Breaking Bad, I'm, but I'm pretending like I, I do. I mean, it's crazy what happens to me. I've been very discouraged in this area, and I've had to really get to Jesus with it. If I'm going to plant a church, I, I really got to get to you, Jesus, on, about this thing. And I've heard that voice, that whisper creep in after I have a discouraging interaction. It just happened to me the other day at the grocery store. I get in the, gro- the, the car to leave the grocery store, and I hear this voice, not audibly. I'm not that crazy yet, but, you know, it's just in my mind I hear this accusing voice. And you're supposed to plant a church, Mike? You can't even bring up Jesus with the 17-year-old kid bagging your groceries, and you're going you're gonna to plant a church? call yourself a church planner? I hear those things. And I agree with those things. And I start thinking about them, right? And I get discouraged, right? And maybe you can relate to those feelings of accusation. Maybe as you thought about the last time you actually shared Jesus with somebody, it was so long ago, you you can't even remember when. And that that accusing voice wants to come in and and just, just taunt you a little bit. You call yourself a Christian? When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus, Christian? Maybe you, you can relate with that. And since we're talking about endings today, the end of our lives, the end of the book of Acts, I think it's fitting to go to the end of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, it's full of a lot of things that I don't understand very well. And there's this one description of a cosmic battle between God's armies, his angelic armies, and Satan's armies, the demon armies. It's, and like I said, I don't understand much about Revelation, but I understand these verses, and they are crystal clear for us today. It comes in Revelation chapter 12. So there's this big cosmic battle, and then Satan is thrown down. He's defeated. And here's what happens. This is Revelation 12 verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Satan is described as the accuser of our family. That's what he does. He accuses us. Reminds us of where we've fallen short. Day and night, he accuses us. 
That's what he does. And if you feel under accusation today, in this area or any area, these words are for you because we don't overcome the accusation by getting busier, by pumping ourselves up, making a checklist. We don't overcome the voice of the accuser by talking back to him. How do we overcome the voice of the accuser? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of Jesus is overcoming blood. The great mercy and grace of God has been offered to us in Christ. And the guilt that we feel when we fall short, it is covered in the blood of Jesus, in the innocence of Jesus. That is overcoming blood. It gives us our very freedom. The blood of the Lamb. And what else? What else kind of solidifies that freedom, that overcoming? The word of our testimony. We just talk about that lamb. We talk about Jesus. That's like what solidifies our our freedom, our overcoming that accusation. We don't overcome him by our great efforts, guys. We overcome him because of his blood and the great mercy that's been given to us, and then we talk about it. Just talk about him. Get so in love with him that you just have to talk about him and you will overcome that accusing voice because that accuser has been thrown down. He's been defeated and he knows it. But he still brings that accusation against the saints. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Paul, on trial, before Agrippa, is a free man because of the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And we are free too. We are free people, guys. The blood of Jesus is effective. It's effective. Every sin, every shortcoming that you and I feel, God who is just is able to forgive us. He sends our sin that way and us that way, never to meet again. The blood of Jesus, guys. It is overcoming blood. And as we talk about the Lamb, as we testify, whether we're in front of two people or 2,000, we overcome by the word of our testimony. You might not have the same audience as Paul. Right? I, I don't know if I'll get to stand before that, that, that big of a group of powerful people. So you might not have the same audience as Paul, but you have the same opportunity as Paul. You have the same opportunity to talk about Jesus wherever you go. Remember how the book of Acts ends, right? Paul doesn't die. He makes it through that trial and then another trial. And then it says he lives in Rome for two years at his own expense. He has like his own apartment. It's like a prison apartment. And he welcomes anybody who comes to him. And what's he doing? He's boldly proclaiming the gospel. The gospel goes forth unhindered. He is talking about Jesus without hindrance. That's the Spirit's unfinished business, guys, in our lives. That's the Spirit's unfinished work, making us to embody the message of Christ. Making our lives the fragrance of the gospel. That's what the Spirit is still up to today. Allowing us to walk in that freedom. Testifying about Jesus wherever we go. That's the end of your life. That's the, that's the direction of your life. That's great news. Because you and I are dead people, like Paul. 
Those of us who worship Jesus as Lord, we've, we've been buried with him. And now the life we live in the flesh belongs to him. And we're absolutely free. So let's, let's respond to this. Because uh, I'm hoping you're, you didn't stay in the discouragement area. <laughs> See, I brought you out of that a little bit. But I think another thing that kind of solidifies this is that we respond, right? We take a step forward in a new direction.